We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're continuing, of course, our study. We're calling it really a study of the nation of Israel, but it's seen through the eyes of, uh, we're sort of the kings. We, we're looking at First and Second Samuel. We'll probably get a little bit into First Kings just for a little bit, but First and Second Samuel, we saw Samuel, who was the final judge, and then Saul, the first king, and now we're looking at the life of David, and David is the second king, and he's the great one, and we would say David's a man after God's own heart. He is just, when he was 14, 15 years old, he fought Goliath. He's just done everything. But we get into the second section, and we're in the book of Second Samuel, and we see that there's some really sad things there. It's time for sorrow and sadness. David has sinned. David has lied. He's committed adultery. He's brought about the murder of Uriah, the, the husband of Bathsheba, and he's God's man. He's the king. He's the representative of God for the nation. And as we look at this passage, and we can even say this, that if David, the man after God's own heart, can fall like this and sin, then we're capable of every sin. You've heard me say this, that every one of us in this room, we're capable of any sin. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we'll probably do the wrong thing. And so we've got to be really, really careful. And we saw last time the confrontation. Nathan told David, you're the man. If you remember, Nathan was a prophet. David sinned. David hid it. David thought he got away with it. God said it was evil. God, after a, maybe a year, sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to come to Nathan, I mean, uh, by the prophet by the name of Nathan to come to David and confront him on this sin. And he comes and tells a story, and David doesn't really understand the story exactly. He thinks, okay, it's just about a rich man and a poor man. And then finally he realizes it's him, and Nathan says, David, you're the man. And David, we, we looked at it, how could David respond to being confronted for his sin? We see that David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And we saw, we went back last week, just briefly looked at Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, of the two Psalms that David wrote when he confessed his sin, when he dealt with his sin. So he's done the right thing. And yet, there are going to be consequences. And one of the things that we learn is that there are always consequences to sin. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not marked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so when we do wrong, sometimes there are consequences. And so this morning, we're going to see the consequences of sin in David's life. And it's a sad time. And you've heard me say this many times. I love the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. I love the Old Testament. I love going through the narrative part, you know, just seeing all this. When you get to this part about David's life, I, I really, I, I really don't like it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just terrible. And, and we've been looking at it. And we're going to keep looking at it. We're going to see what it says, and we can learn from it. And that's why God gives us His Word. He doesn't give His Word to entertain us or anything like that. He gives us a Word to teach us, to inform us, so that we can make application. And we've been seeing this as we go through it. And by the way, uh, David, seeing is never in a vacuum, and that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see really kind of two things. We're going to see the the consequences of sin and the discipline part, but we're going to also see the grace of God. So, so here's some questions: How do we respond to trials and discipline, and how should we view death, and what happens when we die? And then do we realize the importance of prayer and do we understand the grace of God in our lives? So there's a lot in this passage and we'll go through it fairly quickly and we'll see how it fits together. So as we start, let me just bring you, you know, we, we all say, the, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? We would say it's John three sixteen. God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son Jesus to die and rise again, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. He's a God of love. That's how we, we talk about him. We say that he's love, his love never changes. It's an everlasting, unconditional love. But with that in mind, because God loves us so much, there's, there's three, what I call three theological terms, three, three theological words that we need to think about. One is justice, the other is grace, and the other is mercy. Justice is getting what we deserve. 
Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And those three words are powerful because this is how God deals with us. First of all, I want you to think about it. God does not give us justice. He does not give us what we deserve. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where the wages of sin is death, we're supposed to go, we're supposed to be separated from God forever. But God doesn't give us what He uh, what we deserve. He is a righteous and just God. He pours out His justice on His Son Jesus Christ. Jesus took our place. He became our substitute. He paid for our sins. And so God doesn't give us His justice. His justice goes to His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace, God does deal with us in grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. So God gives us eternal life, not because we deserve it or anything, but because we don't deserve it, and yet He gives it to us. And then the third thing is His mercy, and we do not get what we deserve. We've already seen that. That ties in with justice. But think about it, right? Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. He does not give us what we do deserve. We deserve to be separated from God forever, and yet he doesn't do that. And so these words, grace, it's in Christ, saved by, by grace through faith. Mercy is not getting the separation that we deserve. And justice, instead of it being poured out on us, it's poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. Well, I wanted you to see this because I want you to think about grace. Because when we look at this passage, we're going to see the grace of God in the life of David. In the midst of the discipline that God gives to David, there is grace. And the truth is this, in the midst of our lives, when we sin and we come short of God's glory and we fail, we mess up. In the midst of all of that, even in the discipline that God gives to us, we see his grace. And he deals with us in grace. And we're going to see it in the life of David. Let's think about what David has done. He has committed adultery. He's lied. He's murdered. And he's done all this. And and David could even say, well, I didn't really murder. Yes, you did. See, David said he sent Uriah up the front of the line. He told Joab to get the battle going good, move the men back, leave Joab by himself, and he'd get killed in the battle. And that's exactly what happened. So David could say, well, I didn't kill him. I mean, he got killed by the Ammonites. But God said to David, you killed Uriah. So it, it's, it's a terrible thing. And so David spent about, and, and I, most estimates say that it's maybe close to a year that David has covered this up and not dealt with it. And now God's making him deal with it because God sent Nathan the prophet. David is in a huge place of responsibility in the kingdom. I mean, he's the king of Israel and represents God. And so we'll see what happens. Let me give you the, the so God sent Nathan so the confrontation and the confession. Let me break down the passage. Two weeks ago, we saw the verse six verses, the confrontation. And then last week, we saw the confrontation and the confession. And we saw David actually dealing with his sin in Psalm, 31 and, uh, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And then this week, we're going to see consequences. We're going to see discipline, but we're also going to see the grace of God. And by the way, the whole rest of the book is going to be discipline. But in that discipline... There is the grace of God, and we'll see it over and over and over. It's really, it's really, really hard. And so discipline and grace, and that's how God deals with us. When we sin, we come short of God's glory. We, even when we confess that those kind of things, sometimes God brings his discipline in our lives. But it's all based on the grace of God and how much he loves us and what he wants for us. Well, we saw Nathan gave the consequences. Here's what he said. He said, the sword will not, de- this is from God, of course, the sword will not depart from your house. That means there's nothing but conflicts in David's house. You already know that David's got like eight wives. He's already got a bunch of sons. 
He says, there's going to be great conflict in your family. Well, we should have probably expected that if nothing would have happened, okay? Second is, there's going to be evil in the household. We're going to see it in the next three to four chapters. We're going to see some things that we'll say, that's horrible. Yeah, it is, it is. We're going to see evil in the household. And then we're going to see this last thing, take wives in public. And I'll explain it later, but, but the bottom line is, David had committed sexual sin in private, and someone is going to, we'll talk about it later, someone's going to take David's wives and have sexual sin with, sex with them in public. And that's what we'll see. And we'll talk about it as we go through the passage. There's a lot of hard things in the Bible that doesn't cover up anything. And so here we are. Nathan has come to David. He's told him all this. David's confessed it. David recognizes it. And then if you look at chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 15, it says, so Nathan went to his house. And that's what we did. Nathan goes home. He's going back. He's going he's to come again. He's going to give another message to David before the passage is over. We'll see it again. We'll see what happens, what he says. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Nathan risked his life to confront David. Even though God told Nathan to go to David and tell him this information, Nathan was still taking his life in his own hands. Because David could have looked at him and said, who do you talk? You can't talk to me that way. Kill him. And he could have had him killed. He could have. Because David's the king, and the king was pretty much all-powerful. That's how they thought anyway. So David, I mean, Nathan risked his life to come to David. Very powerful. And we're going to see what happens. And by the way, uh, sin, there are consequences. And so let's look at the rest of the verse. He says, so Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. Now, the Lord struck the child. I want you to understand something. God is sovereign, and he does. He carries out his plans. We look at this, and we know what we say. We say something like, this baby didn't do anything wrong. Why is this baby sick? Why, is this, why are these consequences for David and Bathsheba? Because they're involved in this thing together. Uh, it doesn't seem right to us, maybe, that this baby is sick. But let me tell you, God's, God's ways are different than our ways. And he, you know, we, we don't really question God. What we say to God is, God, we don't understand everything that you do, but we trust you that you're a good God, you're a great God, you always do what's best. And the Bible actually says, as my his, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above and my ways above you. And so God, we, we don't explain things to God. We don't go to God and say, I think you're messing up here. God says, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I'm God and you're not. And so as we look at this passage, it breaks our heart when it says, then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. But we don't know. We don't know what would hap- happened to this baby if he had lived on up. We don't know. But God does know. He knows everything. So the Lord struck the child. Breaks our heart. And so... God always does what's best. So what is David going to do? What do you think is David going to do? What would you do if you were David? I mean, David's now come to the point in his life where he said, I blew it. I sinned. Psalm, Psalm 51, Psalm 32. I admit it. I've sinned against the Lord. I've done it. So how is he going to respond when this child is sick? What does David do? He turns to God in prayer. Watch verse 16. Therefore, David, David therefore inquired of God for the child. And David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. He turns to God in prayer. He prays for the child. David, David maintains his fellowship. He didn't say, well, if God, if that's what you're going to do, I don't want anything to do with you. 
We've all known people that some tragedy, something's happened in their lives, and they say, if that's the God, if that's the way God's going to be, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. That's not what David does. David falls on his face. You know what David's doing? We'll see it in a minute. You know what he's doing? He's saying, Lord, if it be your will, save the baby. Don't kill the baby. Don't let the baby die. And he's on his face on the ground. David, the king of Israel, is on his face on the ground. Notice verse 16. David inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went away on the ground all night. That's what Philippians says. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God, and the peace of God passes all understanding but guards our heart and mind. And so David is saying, God, I'm, just, I'm giving this to you. Uh, this is what I'm asking so you, you can come to God with any request you want to. In fact, he says, let your request be made known. David is doing it. David has fallen on his face. Now, we already know that for what Nathan told him, we already know that the baby's supposed to die. So what is David doing? He's saying, Lord, I know what you said, but I'm coming to you and just saying, maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe the baby won't die. Notice verse 17. The elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling. He would not eat food with them. The elders are the mature men in the household, the older men, and they, they said to David, hey, uh, you don't need to be laying face down on the ground like this. I mean, why don't, why don't you get up? Let, let's get you up. Let's get you something to eat. Maybe sit over here. Maybe lay down if you want to, but I mean, don't do this. He won't listen to him. He says, no, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. And so the elders said they, they, they wanted to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling. He wouldn't eat any food with them. And then look what happened. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. Seven days later. Now, David has been on his face for seven days, by the way. He's been praying for seven days. He's been on his face. And it happened on the seventh day the child died. Well, they knew it, and they said, who's going to go tell David that the baby died? Who's going to go tell David? And they all go, you go. No, you go. No, I'm not going to go. Look, there he is. He's laying face down on the ground out there. Who's going to go talk to him? So look what it says. Is it happened on the seventh, this is verse 18, it happened on the seventh day that the baby died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead since he might do himself harm? They said, well, I don't know what to do. Listen, when the baby's alive, he's, I mean, hanging, he's laying down and not eating and everything else. What's he going to do when we tell him the baby died? You go tell him. I'm not telling him. We don't know what to do. Look what it says. When David saw his servants were whispering together, he saw them. David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yeah, he's dead. They're afraid that David's going to do harm to himself. They're afraid David might try to kill himself. They don't know what to think. They were afraid to tell him, and they were whispering, and he looked, they look, and they, David looks up at them and says, tell me the truth. Did the baby die? And they went, yeah, the baby died. What's David going to do? What's this response? Look at verse 19. But when David was, saw the whispering, he asked, and he says, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, 
and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. What was his response? David's response is to worship the Lord. When the baby dies, David gets up, cleans himself up, you know, washes off, gets anointed, puts on his good clothes, goes to the house of the Lord and worships, and then comes back and says, I'd like some food now. I haven't eaten. So David arose, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, came into the house of the Lord, worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him. What's our response to a no answer? See, sometimes we, we come to God and we say, oh God, I want this to happen, I want this to happen. And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. But what is your response when it's, we don't get what we want? When we say, oh Lord, I want this to happen, and it doesn't happen. David said, oh Lord, I don't want the baby to die, and the baby died. How did David respond? Did he say, well, I'm mad at God for not answering my prayer? God answered it. It was just a different answer than he wanted. See, God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he answers yes, and sometimes he answers no. And sometimes he answers wait. So how do we respond when we get an answer that we don't really like? That is not what we wanted. You know what we do? We're to worship our Lord. We're to say, Lord, I don't understand. It's not what I would want, but I have to trust you. You're my God. You're my Savior. Our response to all events is to worship the Lord, our God and Savior. David prayed. We'll see it. David prayed that the baby would not die, and the baby died. And sometimes we don't get the answer we want. Every one of us in this room, if I asked you, would you come up here and spend one minute telling me about a time you prayed for something and it didn't come true to what you wanted? Now, sometimes we're glad it doesn't. <laughs> there have been three or four times in my life that I just said, oh, Lord, I got to have it, I got to have it, you got to, and he didn't. And then I look back later and I go, boy, I'm glad I didn't get that. David is saying, oh, Lord, let that baby live. But he doesn't. So, his servant said to him in verse 21, then the servant said to him, look, what is this thing that you've done? We don't understand. While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept. I mean, you were down on your face. I mean, this was big. But when the child died, you got up and ate. I don't understand. It's like you were real sad when the baby was still alive, but when the baby died, you're not sad anymore. What's the deal? And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and went for I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. You know what he's saying? God can do anything. Maybe he would change his mind. Maybe the baby won't die. I'm going to God and I'm saying, oh God, please don't let the baby die. I know you said that that was going to be a consequence. But don't let the baby die. Don't let the baby die. And I thought maybe, who knows? Who knows the Lord? Maybe he might be gracious to me. Maybe he show more grace here and the baby would live. But then he says, but now he's died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will not go to him, but he will, uh, I, I, I will go to him, but he'll not return to me. So he says this, let's fast, he died. Fasting won't do any good now, he's dead. It won't bring him back, but I will go to him, but he can't come back to me. And you know what David is saying? Some people say this, some people say David is saying, I'll be dead someday with him. No, I think he's saying more than that. I think he's saying that baby's with the Lord and one day I'll be with him also because David knows where that baby went. And when a child dies, when a baby dies, when people die that are too young 
are not able to comprehend the message and the truth of salvation, Jesus has already died for every sin, I think God automatically takes them with him. That's what David said. David said, I, I will go to be with him because that's where David's going, but he will not return to me. Now, I want to tell you something. If you want to sometime just write down Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus gives us what happened to people when they die. In the Old Testament, when a person died, if they were an unbeliever, they went to what the Bible calls Sheol or New Testament word Hades. It was called the place of the dead, and it was divided into two sections with a big gulf in between. One section didn't really have a name, but we call it torments. And if the unbeliever died, they went to torments. When the believer died, they went to a part called Abraham's bosom or paradise. So in the Old Testament, when a baby died or a person died, if they were a believer or a child like that, they went to the paradise side. If they were an unbeliever, they went to the torment side. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, he removed the barrier of sin because that he paid for sin. And from that point on, anyone who believes in Christ, when they die, they don't go to the heart of the earth. To be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. So now, if you die, you won't go to the heart of the earth. You'll go to be with Jesus. Now, unbelievers, when they die, they still go to the heart of the earth because the book of Revelation says he's going to bring up Hades and the unbelievers will stand before God. So David says, I'll go to be with him, but he'll not return to me. And the best that I can tell from Scripture is when a human being, whether they're a baby or whether they're 30 years old, 40 years old, and they're not able to comprehend and understand enough to believe in Christ for eternal life, I thank God in his grace, because he is a God of grace, brings them to be with him. Because he says, my only requirement is a person has to believe, because sin's already dealt with. But if they're not capable of believing, I think our God is a God of grace. So when people say, well, what about a little baby when they die? I think they go to be with Jesus Christ. And David says that here. So what happens? We've seen God in his grace is there. And, 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 and sometimes we, we don't know what to do. We've seen the discipline of God. Let's see the grace of God. Look what we find in verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son and he named him Solomon. Now, the Lord loved him. Now, we'll take the other verse in just a second. Now, the Lord loved him. Do you guess what? They had a baby. Now, I want you to think about Sheba. Bathsheba lost her husband and her son in about a year time period. She lost her husband and her son, and now God gives her another child and gives David another child. His name is Solomon. It comes from Shalom, which means peace. See, David wanted to build the temple for God. You remember David said, I'm going to build the temple for God. And God said, no, you can't build the temple for me because you're a man of war. There's going to be one of your sons who's going to be a man of peace. He will build the temple. The man of peace is Solomon. Shalom. Peace. And he builds the temple for God. This is the son. Now, it doesn't tell us right here. But this is also the son that's going to be the next king. He's not the oldest son. David already has older sons. Technically, David's oldest son would be the next king. But God's going to choose Solomon to be the next king. And we'll talk about it. We'll see it as we go through our passage. And, and notice this. Uh, at the end of verse 24, it says, Now the Lord loved him, loved Solomon, 
and sent word through Nathan the prophet. Here comes Nathan again. David could say, I hope it's a better message this time than the last time. And the word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah. At Jedidiah. So Solomon is the one going to become the next king. And so they sent the word by Nathan the prophet, and they named him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. They're saying this baby is beloved of God. And we don't know what Nathan told him. If you notice this, it says it's sent through Nathan the prophet, this idea. Most of the time we say Nathan came to tell him, name him Jedediah. But there could have been something else told. We don't know. He could have told him, by the way, this is the son that's going to be the next king. We don't know. All we know is the word of God came from Nathan to David, and they named this boy Jedediah. Wow. In the midst of discipline, there is the grace of God. In our lives, when God brings discipline in our lives, that's always the grace of God. And he always has grace, and he deals with us in grace. And if we admit it, even in the bad times, even in the times when we're disciplined, even things aren't going as good as we wish they were going, God is still there in grace. Well, I want you to see one more thing that God does for David in grace. Look at verse 26. Now Joab fought against Rabbath of the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. Now you remember that when David stayed home and looked out and saw Bathsheba, he had sent his army to fight the Ammonites and the city was called Rabbath Ammon, Ammonites. And that's Ammon, Jordan today. That, the capital of Jordan is where they're fighting. And so David sent his men out there and, and that's when he was with Bathsheba. Now it's been later they're still fighting Ammon. And so it says, now the Lord fought against Rabbath of the sons of Ammon, and they captured the city. Now, they captured the city, and Joab is the, is the general that's captured the city. And so we say, well, what's going on? Then Joab sent messengers to David and said, I fought against Rabbath. I've even captured the city of waters. That was his nickname. Now, therefore, gather and, uh, the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, or I will capture the city myself, and it'll be named after me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Joab, we're going to see him as we go through, as we go through the rest of 2 Samuel, we're going to see Joab. And Joab is a great man and a bad man. He's both. There are times that Joab does things and we go, wow, that's amazing. And there are times Joab does things and we go, how could he do that? This is one of the good times. He recognizes that he's about to capture the city. If he captures the city, it'll, he'll get the glory. And he knows that King David ought to get the glory. So he sends word back to David and says, look, I'm about ready to capture this thing. You better get here and capture it or else they're going to name it after me. They're going to say, I get all the glory and you should get all the glory. So what did David do? So David gathered all, verse 29, so David gathered all the people and went to Rabbath, fought against it and captured it. He did it. He did it. He captured it and he gave the victory. Now these next two verses are a little bit hard. And when I say a little bit hard, because it's hard to understand exactly what's going on. Notice verse 30. Then he, David, took the crown of their king from his head, and the weight of, the, uh, of it was a talent of gold, and it was precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city of great amounts. Well, we say, what's so, big, what's so weird about that? You'd think that here's the king they capture, they take his crown off his head, and they put it on David's head to say that he's the, you know, the general. Well, here's, here's the deal. The crown, the talent of gold, weighs 75 pounds. Who's going to wear a crown weighing 75 pounds? Think about it. 
I mean, even Pistol Pete's head's not near that big, right? I mean, think about it. And so some people say that this crown was not a crown that the king wore like wore around, but it was a crown that had set up that represented the kingdom. And David came, and then, of course, they picked it up, and they, like, put it on his head for a second, and he was saying, I'm the king now. I've taken over. And th that's what some say, because it weighs 75 pounds. It would be really hard to wear that around as, as a king, and, and you, would, you probably wouldn't do that. But look at the next verse. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard, and that's the one I use. Some of you have NIV, some of you have ESV, some of you might have a New King James or something. They're going to read a little bit differently. Look at this. Mine said in verse 31, he also brought out the people who were in it and set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, iron axes, and made them pass through. And he just talks about all this stuff, and he did all this. Now, there's two ways to look at this passage. One is that he killed them, that he cut them to pieces. And the reason that I take it to be that they cut them to pieces, because if you go to the book of First Chronicles, now First Chronicles is a review. First Chronicles goes back through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It does. It says in First Chronicles twenty one through three that he cut them to pieces. Some of our translations, and if you have one of these translations, you'll know a lot of words are in italics, which means they aren't in the original. A lot of the translations, like the New King James, the King James, the NIV, the ESV, they, they take it that he made them do work and that he put them under where they had axes and, and so they became like slaves. So there's really two ways you can look at that. Either David killed a bunch of these people or he made them all slaves. Uh, I, I usually try to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And since First Chronicles says that he killed them, I take it to mean that he killed them. But you, you can... Take it a different way if you want to, but that's how I think it fits. So Nathan confronted David, and there were consequences and confession, and the baby got sick, and David prayed, and the baby died. And so we see the grace of God in giving him another son, Solomon, and then we see the grace of God in giving David victory over the Ammonites. With that in mind, let me give you some applications real quickly. Let's deal with sin in our lives. Now, that's what David... David probably should have done this, well, not probably, David should have done it immediately. Whenever we sin, what should we do? We're to confess it. Whenever we sin, we confess on ourselves. We basically tell on ourselves, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We confess and forsake. That's what we're supposed to do. So the moment any of us in this room sin and we recognize we've sinned, we confess it. That's what we're supposed to do. And because, and, and you know, be not deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. So confess it. The second thing is let's trust God in the trials and problems and even the discipline of our lives. Listen, there are things that come in our lives. God is growing us. God is causing us to trust him. But then there's sometimes in our lives that there's discipline. There's discipline because we sin, and there are consequences to that. And what we need to do is stay close, trust him. The Philippians passage, if I can get it to come up, there it is. Philippians 4, 6. Uh, God, make your request known. God deals with us in grace and mercy. Now, I just, I just want you to be thankful that God doesn't deal with us in his justice for the aspect of sin. His justice is poured out on Jesus, okay? But his grace and mercy is poured out on us. The third one is, let's realize that death is not the end. That baby died, but that's not the end. That baby is with the Lord. And if any of you die who know Jesus Christ, if you believed in Christ for eternal life and you were to die, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord, you're with it immediately. Look, death's not the end. And let me just say this. Death is not the end for any human being. If a person believes in Jesus Christ for eternal life, if they die, 
they will go and be with Jesus Christ forever. It's called eternal life. If a person who is not a believer, who has never trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life, when they die, they will, they will be raised to live forever. Let me say it a better way. To die forever, it's called the second death. They'll be separated from God forever because they didn't believe. So there, there is, every human being will be raised from the dead, some to be with Jesus forever, eternal life, some to be separated Jesus forever. It's called the second death. You can read that in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And that's what we find. That's what we find. Finally, let's realize the grace of God in our lives. David got another son, and he got victory over the Ammonites. And God's going to deal with David in grace. You remember what we said earlier? What was, what was the Mosaic law penalty for adultery or murder? What was it? Death. And God said to David, you shall not die. That's the grace of God right there. God, God deals with us in grace. God is a God of grace who loves us, who empowers us, who provides for us and protects us. And even in our sin, God deals with us in grace and mercy.